0: As followers of Jesus Christ, we become different people. We put on the new self, and we put aside the old. And with that comes a responsibility. And with that comes new hope and brand new power. And in this book of Colossians that we'll finish this morning... The Apostle Paul has showed us how it all connects. He showed us that that this whole idea of adopting this new persona of Christ and His power can help us lean in to our mission. And this is as we go about making Jesus known to our community. So here's what we've learned about this in the book of Colossians. We began by learning that Paul was praying that the Colossian church and that we would walk in a manner worthy of God. And then Jesus has delivered us in this wonderful passage from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, darkness to light. We learned that Christ can offer a new life because he is preeminent over the universe. In this beautiful passage in chapter 1, that he is fully God, that he is creator, that he is reconciler. Paul was enamored by Jesus Christ. And then as the book went on, we see that this is why Paul became a minister. He strove to make the word of God fully known, which to him was the hope of glory. Paul struggled and labored for his people because he wanted them to be alive in Christ and live with a deep faith in Christ. is what I want for you and what we hope that we can do together. And then he refuted false teachers that threatened to take the Colossians away proper doctrine of Christ. And so he laid out the doctrine of Christ, and then he refuted teachers that were trying to steer them away from it. Paul commands us to put on a new self after putting to death the old self in chapter 3. The new self was to be reflected in our homes, in our workplaces, while we fully trust Jesus for our well being. And then, as we come to today, we finish the letter. The apostle will tell us how to walk and talk before non believers and how the new self can affect everyone we meet. His final greetings will honor His helpers and plead for prayer. And so this book has been a marvelous journey. We've learned so much about Jesus. We've learned so much about how that doctrine of Christ relates to everyday living. And now as we come to this last section, we need to understand this is so vitally important to our understanding of the entire book and to our responsibility In the gospel. And what I want you to to learn this morning and what I want you to understand is that you can make the most of the time that you have by putting on the new self and walking in truth and proclaiming the gospel. And in this very Pauline way, he thanks all of his friends, all of the messengers of the book, but then he also gets down to business and gives final exhortations that I think can be life-changing if we we just listen, because we truly, through our lifestyle and through the words we use, can preach the gospel from a changed heart. And so why don't you take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to this last chapter of Colossians, chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. Colossians 4, beginning in verse 2. This is on page 985, if you want to grab that Bible in the seat back in front of you. You can also download the Ridgewood app. that has all of the study notes and the text there. And for those of you watching on live stream, please grab your Bibles as well. So Paul was obviously a really good manager. He was good at personal relationships. He was good at delegating. He knew how to bring people into his ministry. He cared about people, and he didn't do the ministry alone. And this is a good thing for us to remember. Paul was not alone. We aren't meant to be islands We aren't meant to sit at home while while others go to church thinking that we can somehow do the Christian life together. And so I want to read this last section first, beginning in verse 7, and show you how many people were involved in the ministry to the Colossian church. And then we'll jump back to verse 2, and we'll begin that process of learning those final exhortations of what it means to speak the gospel out of a heart that's been changed by Christ. So we'll start at verse 7. And I'll just make notes as we go along so you can help identify some of these people that Paul mentions. He begins with Tychicus, a leader in the church. He was the bearer of the letter to the church. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage Your hearts. Verse 9. And with him, Onesimus, and he's that converted slave, runaway from Philemon. Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And then in verse 10, it's Aristarchus. He's a man who accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey, he was also incarcerated with Paul. He calls him, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark. Remember, Mark deserted Paul in his first missionary journey and then earned Paul's respect. And Mark is the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, not, not the Lord Jesus, a common Jewish name, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision, Jewish, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. And then in verse 12, this incredible little essay about Epaphras. And I, I frankly, nobody really knows about Epaphras, but I can't wait to meet Epaphras in heaven. Because this was an amazing man. Look what Paul says about him. Epaphras, who is one of you, likely the, uh, likely the pastor of this church... Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis, all of those churches were in the Lycus Valley, very close together. And then in 14, it's Luke, his friend the author of the book of Luke, the beloved physician greets you as does Demas. That's interesting because Demas deserted Paul at one point. We read about that in 2 Timothy 15. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. That was a very common way to do church in the first century. 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And then Paul's custom sign of authenticity that appears in four other epistles. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now here's a couple of brief notes about this section. First, This group of people left a legacy of faithfulness. They didn't all do well in the middle, but they, for for the largest part, finished really strong. And so Paul was, was glad they were alongside of him. And if we can learn anything from them, it's faithfulness, it's perseverance, it's the willingness to get into the game. And secondly, Paul engaged others in the mission. And again, he couldn't do this alone. Sure, he was an apostle appointed by Jesus Christ, but he needed other believers to walk alongside of him. Thirdly, Paul knew that it was important to encourage others, and it's important for us to encourage others. Satan uses discouragement so well, and it creeps in so easily. And Paul was constantly encouraging others. And then the fourth thing I just want to point out is that he asks for prayer. We're going to talk a lot about prayer this morning. He said, remember my chains. It's good to ask for prayer. It's okay to go to people and say, I need you to pray for something for me. And Paul wasn't afraid to do that. And so you take this amazing legacy And now we laid over what we're going to learn this morning about how to walk in truth, how to speak the gospel from a heart that's been changed, and we can use these people, Epaphras, i like to go back to, as an example of what it looks like. So we're going to go back to verse 2 now, and we're going to learn what it looks like to live out of this new heart. And Paul continues this discussion on the new self. And the apostle begins by emphasizing the importance, as we learn about speaking the gospel, of speaking to God. The first thing he talks about here is speak to God through fervent prayer. Look at verse 2 with me. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Again, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, With thanksgiving, prayer is vitally important to spiritual health. And Paul here gives us some tips on how to pray in the new self that we have. The first thing he talks about is devoting yourself to prayer. We have to do it steadfastly. Continue steadfastly is Paul's words here. So it's not a one-off. It's not something where you, you kind of lay something out and then you hope for the best and you walk away. No, we, we engage in prayer. We pour ourselves into prayer. We consistently pray. Pray steadfastly. It goes with his famous verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Pray without ceasing. And then in Ephesians 6.8, We are commanded to pray in the Spirit at all times, with every kind of prayer and petition. Why is that? Because prayer is how we relate to God. It is how we worship God. It is how we learn to submit to God. It is how we learn to get on the same page as the will of God. It's how we lift other believers up before God. It's how we find peace in a troubled world. It's through prayer. And God listens to prayer and God moves through prayer. And God loves it when we pray. The other day I was laying on the couch watching something, I don't remember, but the important point was my son Joshua was laying there next to me, and he kind of is not quite old enough not to want to do this yet. So he's going to turn twelve in October. And he laid down and he was kind of stretched out on the couch. And and I, you know, of course I wasn't going to move, I was going to treasure that moment. And then I thought to myself, could this be how God relates to me as his child? That he just wants to spend time with me. That he just treasures the fact that I'm there talking to him. That maybe the topic isn't as important as the relationship. And I think it's hard to picture God loving me as much as I love my children, but I think that we can understand it that way. And he's not saying that we should be just sitting in one spot, praying hour after hour. What he's saying here is that we need to be in touch with God, praying, listening to God, thinking about God, kind of a God consciousness as we go through our day, so that when situations arise, we are already in touch with the Father. So the question becomes, what is your prayer life like? Do you, do you squeeze it in? Is it something that you hurry through? Is it something that's kind of annoying? That you know you should pray, but you know, you just don't really know how or really don't have time for that stuff because when I get up in the morning, it's my best time. i got to get to work. i gotta, I got to get my stuff done. I just want to encourage you to pray. I want to encourage you, if, if you're not a prayer, if you struggle with prayer, I want to tell you, we all struggle with prayer. It's not easy to pray. Circumstances are always pushing us away from prayer. Distractions are always there. Just start with something. Start with a five-minute time where you just just begin to talk to God and then let those muscles kind of develop. Pray with devotion. Pray with steadfastness, and you'll see things begin to change in your life. You'll see yourself becoming more like Christ because you're... Understanding the will of Christ for your life. So devote yourself to prayer. Secondly, Paul tells us in this verse to stay alert. To stay alert. This is so vitally important in our world today. If you look at verse 2, Paul commands us to be watchful in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. The truth of the matter is, is if we're not serious about our spiritual life, we become drowsy. We become lazy. And we don't pour ourselves into the things that we should pour ourselves into, thus we're not listening. And Calvin would say that leads to coldness and listlessness. We don't want that in our lives because time goes too fast for that. We want to be, we want to be, we want to be one with God. Not... Cold and listless and drifting away from God? Be- you know, the enemy is... I just can't express this enough. The enemy is attacking you right now. The enemy is attacking me. He's attacking Wendy. He's attacking my kids. Because Satan is a relentless attacker. So, if you let your guard down, if you, if you say, I don't really need to pray, and if you're lazy about looking around and seeing circumstances, then you're going to be in a lot of trouble. This is made really clear in 1 Peter 5. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Be sober minded and be watchful. Listen, Satan is a hateful, murderous being. If you are in his crosshairs, he will take no prisoners. He will have no pity on you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy this church. He wants to destroy the work of God. The whole idea of the Bible is this battle between Jesus and Satan for the throne of David. And Jesus wins. But Satan's not going to go down without a fight, and we're in the way. So be watchful. Don't let your guard down. If you think that you're above the fall, listen, there have been too many lives, families, and churches ruined by leaders that somehow got in their minds that they were above this. And if you think that, then you're already falling. If you think you're above the fall, you're already in big trouble. Paul says, be watchful. And then he goes on in this very familiar passage in Ephesians 6 Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. With all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This means we're also watchful for our brothers and sisters in Christ. This means that we're watching their lives, we're understanding what they're facing, and we're on guard for them. And it all comes through prayer. Pray fervently. Be watchful. And then... Paul makes a really interesting point here that we don't really think about when it comes to prayer. It's be thankful in prayer. Be thankful. He he, he says to come with a sense of gratitude in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Being watchful in it. And then he says to us, with thanksgiving. Now isn't that interesting? What does this have to do with praying? Well, Praying can be accompanied by a sense of gratitude. When we we come to prayer with thanksgiving in our heart and and we know that God is who He is and we're just thankful that we have this opportunity to pray and we live a life of gratitude, then our prayers will flow. A heart of thanksgiving. A heart of gratitude. God is good. The Bible says, is full of promises to God's goodness to start with gratitude means you understand that you have been saved by grace not your own power that all the things you have in your possession are given to you by God even in your suffering the suffering that you're enduring has a purpose because we serve a loving God And to that, we can come without bitterness, without cynicism. We can come to God with a grateful heart, and we can pray because we understand who He is. And then we will experience the love of Christ in a way that we're not going to if we're not in that relationship and in that dialogue. That's how we speak to God, and we learn the gospel we pray fervently with devotion, with watchful eye, with thanksgiving. And then what Paul does is he, he turns away from prayer, and, and now he'll move into a section about, he, he'll, he'll turn aside from vertical prayer, now to horizontal, and it'll be how we can speak the gospel to those around us. And so what he's going to tell us now in this next section is, proclaim the truth of the gospel by any means Possible. Look at verses 3 and 4. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul's looking for open doors. He's he's aware of his surroundings. He's on mission. And when there's an open door, he's asking that that we pray that he would find that open door. He's asking people to be aware of that with him so that he can deliver, proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And here's, I think, a key thing about about being able to proclaim the truth of the gospel by looking for open doors is we have to be enamored with the gospel. Because if we're not enamored with the gospel, if we're not not fed by the gospel, if we don't live by the gospel, then why would we want to share it with anyone else? We might share it out of duty. We might share it out of a, a sense of, That's another, you know, uh, notch on my belt. Listen, the gospel is simply the saving work of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the atonement as broken body brought to us on the cross, the resurrection that defeated death. The mystery of the gospel is that Jews and Gentiles both have access to the gospel. The gospel is good news. Then why don't we tell people about it? And I know what you're thinking. You're already thinking to yourself because this is what I think. Oh man, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. You know that's pressure, man. I, I don't want to. Like when I get on a plane, I got work to do, and I wouldn't. Know, I don't want to start a conversation because it won't end for four hours. Or, or you're at school, or you're at, you're at work, and you're going like, oh, they don't want to hear this. It doesn't always have to be a sermon. And we're going we're to learn that in just a minute. But the point of it, that I'm making to you right now is, do you understand the breadth and depth of the gospel? Do you understand that this is salvation? In a world that has been tainted with sin to the point of death, there is only one way to escape, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if people don't hear this, then they will die. They will spend eternity in hell. They will experience a Christless eternity. That's the gospel. But if they do find Christ, their lives can be transformed. And, of course, they can have eternal life. Maybe the other problem we have is maybe our lives, we don't feel like we've been transformed by the gospel, so for us it's kind of ho-hum. Listen, if you feel like you're stuck... If you feel like this is all convenience for you, if you feel like it's all just kind of the same after week after week, then you need to start preaching the gospel to yourself. Now, I wouldn't recommend looking in the mirror and actually preaching to yourself, because somebody might take you away. But what I'm trying to say to you is, remind yourself of what the gospel has done for you. And then that will hopefully spur you on. Because in this new self, in this new way of living... Paul is urgent. We are to speak it often. Through prayer first. We speak to God. And then we proclaim the gospel through our words, but we also do it through our life, through living it out. If you look at verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And so, here's my words to that, is this, live like there is no tomorrow. Make the most of your time, because for some, there is no tomorrow. Somehow we have this idea that life is just going to go on until we decide that it's time to die. That's not the way it works. Secondly, we don't know when Christ is coming back. He will return. And it will be a glorious day, but it will not be a glorious time for those that have failed to put their faith in Him. And so we need to get to work. And we need the wisdom and understanding. And we need to exercise that wisdom so that we don't waste our lives. And so that we make the most of every moment and every opportunity. This is what John Piper says about this. But whatever you do, find the God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated passion of your life, and find your way to say it, and live for it, and die for it, and you will make a difference that lasts. You will not waste your life. So what is what is your passion in life? What do you like to do? Do you like to go fishing? Do you like to do boating? Do you like to... Do to do knitting? Do you like to do shopping? Do you like to fix things? Do you like cars? What is it for you? Whatever it is, take it and use it to live out the gospel. Find connection points. Just do your thing. Jesus has equipped you in a special way that he hasn't equipped me. I can't go to a car show. Well, I could, but I have no idea what I'm looking at. But some of you could, and you can just stand, and you can just talk to people. You know, I mean, it's not that complicated, but I think sometimes we think we have to have this organized thing where we're putting things on, door, on doorbells and, and door knockers, and, and no, this is just living it out every day in our ordinary lives. And so Justin, on that video, mentioned that beginning next week we're going to do a short series called The Habits of Making Jesus Known, and basically what we're going to do is we've we've talked about community impact, now we're going to try to help you understand how to do community impact, equipping you to go into the community. We're going to learn how to eat with non-believers. We're going to learn how to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, how to learn about Jesus, and then how to see ourselves as sent missionaries. You are a sent missionary. But the first one is bless, and that relates to what we're talking about this morning. Blessing people with your words, encouraging them. Nonbelievers don't have that, largely in their lives. They don't have a voice of reason, a voice of encouragement, a voice of love, a voice that is not critical, you can be that person. So what's your passion? For me, I love baseball. I don't know why. People think that baseball is dull. I think it's fantastic. And so my son Joshua plays Little League Baseball. And I thought, well, why don't I coach the team? Because that will give me an opportunity to meet people in our community. And I did. And I met a lot of parents and a lot of kids. And I had a chance just to live out my faith in front of them. I didn't set up a pulpit in the middle of the field. That would have been weird. I just lived my life because I, knew I'm, I know that I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I trust that those relationships will come into being. And so, what is your thing? Live it out before non-believers. And that goes to the final point that Paul makes here in verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The way we talk to others should shout the gospel. Use words that lead others closer to Christ. Our conversation, our our speech, which is discourse or talking, should always be gracious and pleasing, yet seasoned with salt. What that means is truthful and penetrating. Our speech can have a massive impact on people. In 1 Peter 3.15, we're we're told to, to, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Is it just me, or is gentleness and respect missing from our culture right now? We can introduce gentleness and respect Back into the equation, by not being social media critics, shamers, not always having an opinion that's going to cut somebody else down, if you're a person that is fanning the flames of discontent in any arena, then you are not living by this principle, and that's sin. But if you are a person that's doing what Paul says here, that you're looking for opportunities to encourage, to speak truth, to lift up, to pray for others, then you are a shining example and your words will make a difference. We need Barnabas's to be encouraging and blessing and praying for. And all of this comes down to speaking the gospel from a heart that's been transformed and changed by Jesus Christ through prayer through finding open doors, through urgency, and through blessing. All of this book has a containment of this power and what we are to do with that power, and we can do it together because Christ has changed us. Paul was convinced of that. All of his associates worked with him on it, and they made huge changes in Colossae, so we can help change our city. And the way this works is, is that we understand who Christ is. We become enamored with Christ. We take what we know about Christ and we adopt it in our everyday lives. And then our everyday lives shout the gospel and people are changed. But in order to do that, you have to get in the game. And you have to decide this is something you're going to engage in. Because to sit on the sidelines is not to speak the gospel. And so I'm just going to give you a minute to just silently pray and just ask God, Lord, how do you want me to engage? What, what areas can I, can I step out into that reflect who I am? Who are people that need me to just be there with them that don't know Jesus? Just take a minute, let God speak to you, and then I'll close in prayer. Jesus, the gospel is too pure, too beautiful, too unbelievable to keep to ourselves. The fact that, that you went to the cross and gave of yourself and your broken body, paid for our sins and, and rising from the dead and, and now we can face down death because we know that believers never die. God, that is a truth that we cannot hide. So give us the courage and the wisdom to know how to engage our sphere of influence. Help us to be ambassadors of the gospel. Help us to know when and how. Bring people to our minds, bring situations to our minds. We don't have to be Billy Graham. We just have to be a believer, living our ordinary daily lives. And God, please don't let us long for something we aren't. Just feed us because of who we are. I pray this in your name. Amen.